Hello, it's Vikas Pota, Chairman of the Vaki Foundation. You are listening to a session from our Global Education and Skills Forum, a place where leading politicians, businesses, philanthropists, activists, and of course, the world's best teachers share, debate, and discover new ways for education to transform our world. Keep the global conversation going and share your thoughts on the topics discussed with the hashtag GESF. So we have a wonderful list of panelists. Um, let me start by calling on a teacher, a lecturer, a researcher, and a top 10 finalist from the Global Teacher Prize, Mary Christine Gambari. Jeremy, a round of applause for her, please. Thank you. Mary. Also, Trinidadian, a former international cricketer, widely acknowledged as one of the, the greatest batsmen of all time, Brian Lara, former West Indian cricketer. And now I'm going to call on someone whom, when you hear the name, obviously you would know that she has some kind of uh, links to a very famous person, but even more so for her work, a community activist, socialist, author, journalist, the delectable Omar Obama. British swimmer, Paralympic athlete, and non-executive director, consultant, Susanna Rogers. And let's give it up for a former Argentine international who broke the British transfer record signing in 2001 when, when he moved to Manchester United. I remember this very well. Sebastian Veron. So, as you all know, this panel is on sports, a physically active world, what sports can teach us. Sports can unite us. If there's any medium in the world that brings people like no other, I think this is sports. In the face of sports, religion, color, um, ethnicity, whatever it is, everything gets dissolved, absorbed, like no one really cares. And as you can see here, an array of uh, wonderful sportsmen who have done excellently well, done their nations proud, done themselves proud, and done their nations proud. And what we'll be talking about is what sports can teach us in the classroom, and what sports can really teach young people. If I may start with uh, Brian, could you first tell us about your story, about how you started? You know, was it in the classroom to begin with? Well, first of all, no. It's actually, um, I come from a family of uh, 11. Uh, six brothers, four sisters, and myself. And uh, when I was about three or four years old, my brother climbed a coconut tree and uh, shaped my first cricket bat from a coconut branch. And so it started at home. I had a, a very um, sporting family. And uh, my sister um, saw an ad when I was about six years old, and she told my dad, she, you know, you should enroll me into this coaching clinic, which was called Harvard. But I think the most uh, potent uh, time for me as a sports person, or just a person in general, is when I went to Fatima College. I did not pass for Fatima College, I passed for a secondary school, but my dad uh, made sure that he, he got me into college, and uh, I believe that um, marrying the, the sports and education was very key for me, 
growing up as a young person. Sports was, was pretty easy. It was football, cricket, table tennis. Um, so you had experiments with tennis and cricket? Yeah, I, play, I played and, football. And football. Yeah, I played football with um, Byron with no Dwight York. I played with him as a, a schoolboy. And um, yeah, I had a lot of fun then. But um, I think that uh, in the classroom, what was very important for me was pushing myself academically. As I said, sports became, was very easy. The academic side was difficult, but I feel crossing those hurdles um, definitely improved me as a person. Okay. Um, Omar, let's, let me just switch over there. Um, for you from Kenya, you know, for uh, coming out from, uh, I mean, that part of the world, I mean, where we both know how things could be, you know, what does sports do to empower people, to empower young people? What have you seen it do? I think sports does a lot, and I take myself as an example, and, I, and the more I see that less, less sports is being done in schools, I appreciate it more. Because when I was growing up, sports was part of our education. It was called extracurricular, but you had to participate. And this really challenged me and my character in many, many ways. And I use that a lot in my foundation, the sports to help build character. Uh, my former speaker said that, you know, even academically it may have been difficult, but with sports you can also teach academics. And that's something that we try to do, and I, I appreciate that about sports. And I think it's really, really important to uh, push that agenda of sports on a daily basis for children from the beginning, and then when they go on to be professionals to support it, because that's the biggest problem. We talk a lot about sports and we go on about it, but when it really comes to athletes and real professional sports people, especially on our continent, we don't support them. So kids don't see the point. They say, oh, it's all great, we'll do sports, we'll have fun, but the minute you leave school, you stop doing sports. And that's what we want to try and push that agenda to tell young people, you can continue with it, it can become a career, and it's really something that you can use as a tool to improve your life. And it's amazing what Kenya has been able to do with sport. Kenya has produced quite a number, I mean, so many uh, marathon winners across the world, you know, and uh, winning a lot of lawyers for, for, for the country. And uh, I just want to make a quick announcement for those who would like to listen to this uh, conversation in Spanish, you can use, you can check on channel three, and you will hear everything that we're saying in Spanish. Channel two or three? Two. Okay, I've been told now that it's two. Well, you can try two or three and, uh, <laughs> and, and yeah, we'll see how that goes. Now, let us talk about um, for uh, Paralympic you know, athletes, you know, for, for people with, uh, for physically challenged people, persons. Um, can you take it from there? What, what have you learned? What have you seen it do for people? Um, so, I've been, thanks for having me on the panel, by the way. Um, You're welcome. And I've been listening to a lot of the talks going on today, and, you know, it's a, talking about changing the world. Paralympic athletes are a great example of people that are changing the world because they're putting themselves out there, they're visible, and they are actually people with disabilities who are comfortable with disability and are performing great feats. Uh, on a, one of the biggest world stages. So I'm very proud to be part of that movement uh, and to be part of that group of athletes who are you know, incredibly special, all with very, very interesting stories and interesting histories to, to what led them into sport. And you know, I'm, I'm an example of that. If you could share with us how you started, you know. Yeah, um, so I basically, to kind of say that education helped me get into sport, I would say it didn't for me. Even though I come from the UK, 
when I was at school, the PE teachers didn't really know what to do with me, so I, very often they'd leave me in the library whilst everyone else went and played hockey or tennis, and they just didn't really know what I was capable of doing. And it was only through me understanding myself and my body and what I could do that I found swimming, and then I went into sport actually a bit older, so I was at university. And uh, I just found a local club myself, researched it myself, went along, and it went from there really. But it was, it was a kind of a journey that I had to push myself and no one really helped me with. Mm, indeed. Now, coming to you, Mary, if you can uh, just share your story. Because, I mean, this panel is, is one that, I mean, uh, from what you've done and from what everyone here has achieved in their lifetime, you know, we want to hear, you know, how, what it took you. To the, was it from the classroom? So my story is that uh, I use physical activity and sports to stand up for children, to give them hope, to give them a perspective, because for children it's very important to be physically active. It's for the all, overall development, it's to the executive functions, to the self-concept, to the self-efficacy, to get a self-belief. So that's why I created a program at the university, a mentor program. I was always a very physical active girl and got a lot of self-confidence with it. So I'm very happy and feel very honored to be with this kind of Olympics here on the stage because it means a lot to me because we can together raise up the, the voice for the children to use physical activity and sports. What sports can teach us, um, I have a video for my sports mentor kids, so sports partner in German. And it's, it's an integrated course, lecture at the university, and one-by-one -one mentoring. So the university students get educated in empathy, social skills, skills emotional skills, and also they are doing a one-by-one -one mentoring using positive psychology to lift up the child and using physical activity to make equal opportunities for the children and also to give refugee children from Syria, Afghanistan hope to um, raise up their hands to say, hey, we are here for you. We give you hope and we listen to you. That's why I also got the skateboard today, they made it for us today, that they get a voice. Like um, Bana said this morning, these kids need education, these kids need to be here. And instead of guns, we should give them the hope to be physically active again, to play like kids should play. Just be a child and enjoy the childhood. So I just want to show you the um, video. Yeah, you can go yeah. ahead, yeah. Um, Kids. So we try to help them with a sports mentor, get them a better self-confidence. We want these kids that they are not afraid of a culture, that they accept each other and that they see each culture as wonderful. The German kids in this project learn from the refugee kids, for example, from Afghanistan and from Syria. They learn so much from each other. Marie has a lot of experience. She leads it very well. She has ideas about how we can do it. Skateboarding is such a great example for self-organized physical activity. So it's not about competition, it's not about being better than the other, it's about to enjoy physical activity from your inner self. Also Marie is ja quasi die eigentlich die Initialzündung für alles. Sie ist eine super Lehrkraft, kann sich sehr gut in die Kinder hineinversetzen und hat ein besonderes Gespür für Ich sage jetzt mal, ja, sozial benachteiligte. Dann würde ich sagen, erstmal herzlich willkommen heute zum Basketballtraining mit dem wundervollen Matthias von Heidelbrand. Für die Flüchtlinge stellt das, glaube ich, einen äh, großen Ausbruch aus ihrem 
Alltag hier in Deutschland da. Neben der sozialen Komponente spielt da auch die sprachliche Komponente eine große Rolle, da die Flüchtlingskinder dann auch die Möglichkeit haben, ihr Deutsch zu üben und vor allem auch sehen, dass mit den Deutschkenntnissen, die sie schnell erlernen, gut im Alltag zurechtkommen können. This is like my life. Research, teaching, it's all about children and I'm happy if they have the equal opportunities and if I can help and if I can stand up, the kids know they can do the same because they're starting to believe in themselves and they're starting, yes, I can do it. A round of applause for that, please. So. And Mary, we can imagine, and this is uh, one of the reasons why you were a top 10 uh, finalist yeah. for the Global Teacher Prize. Um, just to complete the circle of uh, the question on what sports can do and how important it is, and uh, more importantly, uh, if it started for, for you all in the classroom, from the classroom. Sebastian Veron. So we hear about the likes of Lionel Messi, this, you know, the age that we are in, Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, in, uh, across the football world. And uh, what we've been told is that they started really early. You know, for you, did you start early in the classroom? Was it from school? Was it from some form of, you know, system, schooling system? Eh, en el fútbol, sí, digo, mi historia no tiene nada de, de particular a la que pueden ver en cualquier otro lugar o puedan llegar a escuchar. La realidad que yo terminé en el, en el club con, empezando mi carrera digo como futbolista porque le detonaba los vidrios a la vecina a pelotazos y mi mamá le dijo un día a mi papá, mira, llévatelo porque se nos va el presupuesto en vidrios y necesita tener un espacio más grande para, para jugar al fútbol. Y con el colegio, digo, el, el fútbol y el deporte y la escuela tienen, eh, digo, particulares, cosas muy particulares y, y similes, digamos, similares. Eh, obviamente la, la, el tema de la amistad, el, el compañerismo, el compartir un espacio eh, y después todos los valores que te va enseñando el deporte y que vas también teniendo en forma recurrente en, en el colegio, eh, el respeto, la solidaridad y yo la, la verdad si tengo que decir, eh, a mí el, el, el colegio no me gustaba y nunca me gustó, pero sí tuve la, la chance y la oportunidad de conocer gente que para mi vida en, en el deporte me me marcó y hoy sigo manteniendo muchas de esas amistades, eh, tanto con maestra como compañeros, el, el día de hoy. Y eso seguramente me ha ayudado y me formó para lo que fue mi, mi futura carrera como futbolista. Interesante. Y just. Ok. Muy interesante. 
I'm Nigerian, um, and I come from a country where I know uh, there are lots of you know, children who don't have access to, to education, access to school. And there are people also, there are children who are in school and they're not really learning as they should. You know? So there are children who aren't you know, top class performers, and they're looking for you know, affirmation. They're looking for you know, areas where they can be told, oh, you are very good at this. You know, so I will throw this question, throw this question to you. Uh, for for you, uh, Omar, what do you make of you know the role of sports for girl, girls? And you know, you you your work covers girls and women yes. as a as a sociologist, yes. uh, an activist. Yeah. You know, what is what can we do more to empower girls, especially in Africa? I think um, one of the things that has to happen, and I may sound controversial here is to not always separate and talk about the girl child, the woman. Because actually what we do is we bring the two together, the girl child, the boy child, the woman, the men. Because the idea is that it has to happen within a family, within a, a society, and both are in that society. So it's very dangerous to try and segregate because what ends up happening, you put them in a space where they end up getting victimized, they get limited because the boy child feels resentful and the father or the parent or the husband feels I'm still the boss anyway. So it becomes a farce. So for me, I think the important thing about sports and beyond talking about sports for all the good things it does, because we all know that. I think we're singing from the same hymn book when we talk about sports doing all these wonderful things. I think we need to go to the next step and talk about how can we use, how can we recognize sport in such a way that it becomes mainstream in society and not just for the athletes who are the, 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 the professionals and for us, the, the, the more, how shall I put it, for the, for the chosen ones, we call you the chosen ones, who, are the, the, who really excel. It has to become mainstream. So we have to start mentoring so that sports become something that is normal. Okay, because mentoring. if you look at the scale around sport, you find we talk all about having sport for disadvantaged children and young people, but our own children within the more affluent very often are more on their iPhones and iPads and are actually not doing much sport at all. They don't really feel the need to do it, and if they do it, it's because they're driven, because they're, you know, they, they like sports. But we need to make it a social thing that everybody does. So we need mentors for sport. It needs to become mainstream, and it needs to be put back in the school curriculum because we're taking it out of the curriculum. It's becoming more on a side. In the UK, I live there. It costs to go. You need a club. You need to pay. So it needs to go back and become mainstream because it should be part of education. And it acts sometimes as an alternative to education. It helps you get there. You know, you get your scholarship because you're great at a sport. But do we want it to be instead of education? We need to integrate it into education. So and definitely it, make it mainstream. And I like what you say uh, there. I like how you say it's, it's something that should be integrated, you know, and in a way that could give you opportunities. And if, we, if I can draw from what I've observed in the US system, you know, there's, there's so much that sports offers you, you know, as a student, as a child, you know, and mm -hmm. I, I think that I would like to see this, you know, being done in many African countries. And I saw you there talking about the UK. And let me just switch over to you, uh, Susanna, and, you know, let's talk about the role of inclusion. Now, for you said earlier when you were, when you were opening, you said that for you it did not start from, you know, the classroom and you, you were being left alone, you know. So, how can we achieve more inclusion, especially for uh, dis disadvantaged uh, children or for people who are physically challenged or disabled? 
Yeah, I think it's a tough one. And to your point, I totally agree. And it's the same with disability. It should be mainstreamed. It shouldn't be segregated or separated out. So I learned to swim with non-disabled people. I found that that helped push me to that next level. And I wouldn't have become an elite athlete had I not been basically competing against people that had two arms and two legs. I've got one arm and one leg. So it was, it was, that was my motivator. And I think that's so important because I see myself as equal. I am equal to everybody else. Absolutely. Um, and that, that is something that's come from sport. It's, it's taught me to do that. So it can be powerful at the grassroots level and it can be powerful at the elite level. I think in the Paralympics, you know, we have a role to play as, as athletes to, to be role models for and to work as mentors, like you say, within society to, to support young people who are coming through with disabilities. You know, I do a lot of uh, work with um, disability sport charities in the UK. I spend time with people that maybe they, maybe they don't want to be an elite athlete. I mean, it's not easy, let's be, to be honest. Um, so it's not the path for everybody, but it, it's something, you know, sport does build confidence. You know, you mentioned, Marie, loads of skills that you learn. I mean, they are life skills. I mean, swimming is a basic life skill. Everybody should learn how to swim. I mean, it's essential. Um, but, you know, not everybody has access to a swimming pool. You know, it's expensive. Joining a club is expensive. And I think it's a tricky thing. I think it's, it's something that I certainly am trying to work on in the UK. It it's, should be part of the curriculum. And it should be inclusive of everybody. And there are a lot of good charities and people doing a lot of work in this area. Certainly in the UK, I feel like more could be done globally. Okay. And Brian, tell us about the Trinidadian story. I mean, what is it like in Trinidad? <laughs> well, well, first of all, as I, I said, you know, talking about um, integrating uh, the male and female uh, person, I, as I said, I came from a family of 11. When we had our first cricket team, I had to bat at number 10. I had to bat after my sisters because I was a 10th child. I had to work my way up the batting order. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I had to work my way up the batting wow. order to get there. But... Um, the importance of, of um, sport, let's, let's talk about even an academic, a guy who you know, is very good at school, at schoolwork. And I went to school with a lot of them. I mean, we meet for a drink now, you know, 30 something years after school. And they don't talk about science, they don't talk about accounting. They talk about you know, the goal that they scored at, you know, while we were in school together, or the 10 runs that they made in the 100 run partnership with me. You know, that's what they talk about. So, for me, I think it's, it's so important to have uh, sport as part of uh, curriculum. your curriculum. I think it's, it's, it's key for anyone as, as a uh, budding sportsman, but it's someone who just wants to use it as a recreation. In I Trinidad, think, what, is, what is it like now? Well, I think uh, presently there's a lot of sport. What, I, what I, I try, I'm trying a lot to do is to get them to understand the importance of both aspects of it. You know, I find that we are producing a lot of sportsmen that are not very good academically, and we, we are producing a lot of academics that don't really have any clue what's going on in the sporting field. And I think marrying it is important. So I work very close with my Ministry of uh, Education and in trying to, to let them know that we need to get back that physical education back in our, our classrooms. Uh, we did that, I think, uh, once, uh, once a week, every classroom did that. And um, it's something that I think it's, it's very, very important. We've lost that a bit, and we need to bring it back. So if there's anything that I, I've taken so far from what um, Omar said and Susanna said and you mentoring, you know, I see that you're doing a lot of work now that, you know, in getting the government to, you know, to speed up or to, to, to facilitate uh, improvements and progress. 
with that. Uh, Sebastian, you are the chairman of the club Etudiant de la Plata. I'm just learning French, and now I'm trying to learn Spanish right away. I don't know. How <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Thank it's you. Good. Thank you. So um, tell us about your work with this uh, association, uh, club uh, Etudiant de la Plata. Estudiante de la Plata. Bueno, Estudiante de la Plata es un club, básicamente un club social muy distinto a lo que vemos o lo que se ve en Europa, porque aparte de tener fútbol tenemos otras 25 disciplinas, tenemos una parte social, fundación, colegio, y un poco lo escuchaba Brian que hablaba del deporte, la currícula que tendría que estar y yo creo que, sobre todo en el fútbol, los chicos en Argentina, eh, muchas veces también empujados por sus familias, quieren ser futbolistas, no todos llegan a serlo. Eh, obviamente que conviven prácticamente con una frustración desde, desde chicos. Y lo que tratamos de hacer nosotros con el club, sobre todo para que ellos puedan desarrollar su vida el día de mañana siendo o no profesionales en el fútbol, sobre todo con aquellos que no llegan, es adaptar el colegio a, a los horarios y a las necesidades que ellos, que ellos van teniendo. Porque básicamente, si nosotros, aparte de las frustraciones que tienen porque el fin de semana no juegan, eh, porque no les salen las cosas, porque posiblemente no sigan en el club. Si aparte de eso nosotros no lo acompañamos con un programa educativo en donde ellos se puedan sentir seguros y puedan tener una herramienta el día de mañana, estaríamos frustrando a, a todos los chicos y difícilmente se puedan eh, insertar en un futuro en la sociedad. Entonces lo que hicimos por experiencia mía y experiencia también de, de años en el club, fue adaptarle este programa educativo para que los chicos, y acompañarlos en ese proceso, para que los chicos puedan realmente terminar el, su estudio secundario y que el día de mañana puedan tener una, una salida laboral y que puedan, sobre todo, desarrollarse en, en el mundo, ¿no? algo tan, tan complejo como lo es hoy. Amazing, amazing. Now, for people who think that, you know, um, there's a lot of money to be made from sports, by the way. And for young people that came up from very rural, disadvantaged communities or people who face, you know, from some form of um, disadvantage in their, in their lifetime and they start getting exposed to you know, being, being appreciated and being given a lot of money. Do you think that this poses any kind of risk, you know, in terms of how they end up growing up and, you know, abusing uh, this opportunity? So um, this is not going to be a question for everybody. <laughs> but who would want to address this? As a sociologist, what do you think? Um, Omar, do you want to address this question in particular? I'm talking about young people who at 15 or 16 are being poached because of their extraordinary talent or skill and then being rewarded you know, all of a sudden. And sometimes along the line, do they you know, exhibit some kind of um, traits that, you know, put this, that suggest that this is uh, contributing arm to them? I think when, we, when we, we look at the history of some of our athletes, our elite athletes, 
or, or sports people, it does pose a problem because very often when they're being managed, it's about their achievement on the one hand and the money that's being made on the other. And what we try to do within the context of our work, because actually sport is really critical. That's what actually grew our numbers. When we introduced sport, the young people came, a lot of them came, and many have a hope of becoming you know, elite sports people like yourselves. But what we always tell them, that is a bonus. That is an extra. So what we try to do is make sports a lifestyle. And this is actually really key, even the discussion among all of us in general, because what I said earlier about us stopping doing sport, if sports becomes a lifestyle, if you become an elite sports person, it's a bonus to what you do. And then what we do parallel to teaching the young people sport, we teach them about their responsibility as individuals in terms of, in, even to the point of how they manage money. Beyond that, we can't go because I, we're not sports managers, but I think there's a faculty now for something like that in the universities, or there's been for a while, and that should be introduced. The ethics of becoming an elite sports person. I, I, I'm more interested to hear what you have to say because yeah, you actually have experienced it. But I, from a person looking outside, into that space, what we always say is we try to teach the children that sports is a lifestyle. So when we get older and maybe have a little bit of a belly and a little bit of more weight here and there, it's not such a chore to do sport because we've been doing it all along. Yeah. So, Mary, you, you have thoughts? What are your thoughts about this as a teacher um, and lecturer? Yeah, sports is the key to everything. So if children are not sporting active, not physical active, they cannot grab in their mind. The self-concept goes down, so we really need to integrate it in the school. At least 60 minutes per day is a must, like the World Health Organization says. For example, in Germany, we have a physical inactivity level, like the girls and boys between 6 and uh, 15 years old, they're less than 31 minutes active per day. That's nothing. So we have to look around what is sport in an athlete way, but what is physical activity? So kids has to go out. They has to discover the physical active free play. They has to go and do physical active free play the games again, to climb on street, just be physically active with their parents, with their peers. When you use this kind of environment and give the kids the space, each child is made to be active. And so um, in the university, it's very important from the sports psychology point and also from other research that uh, we need to educate also the PE teachers. And it, it has a must to be in the curriculum. So when you don't have sport in your curriculum, you're doing something wrong because how we all develop like our brain, our body, our soul, it's related to physical activity, to sports. It comes from our inner self. So we need to really focus on this, that really the children has intrinsic motivation, motivation to be physical active, have a lot of fun, and um, we should really have to make it as a must. And see it as a lifestyle. Now to yes. the sports persons that we have here, um, you know, former athletes and uh, former swimmer and former footballer, um, the, there's a life, there's a life, uh, there's a peak period for sports, for people like you, you know. You were playing while you were much younger and been rewarded, been given a lot of money for, for your talent and for your skill and for the work that you put in. Now, when you exit that cycle, that period, you know, for you, what's next? How have you been able to reconcile, you know, the, the difference between when you have been actively paid huge monies for your talent and for your skill and the life that you live now. Um, Sebastian, let's start with you. Eh, yo quería decir algo. No, no todos tienen la suerte de vivir de lo que haces. Digo, son muy pocos los que tienen esa posibilidad y hay muchos otros chicos que seguramente tendrán que seguir con, con su vida, 
Eh, y particularmente lo que nosotros hacemos es tratar de prepararlos para que sean y para que tengan herramientas en definitiva y que puedan ver más allá del fútbol o de otro, de otro deporte. Eh, lo que respecta al fútbol, lamentablemente, no hay, digo, no hay una escuela, no hay una universidad más allá de la, de la formación y de las experiencias que, que se puedan tener y de aquellos que se acerquen para darte un consejo eh, para el desarrollo de tu vida. Nosotros, como futbolistas, posiblemente tomamos decisiones muy difíciles con 16, 17 años, tratando de saber dónde invertir el dinero, manejando la economía de tu casa. Eh, y no solo es la presión que vos tenés dentro del campo de juego, que también la presión que viene de afuera. O sea, no sabemos convivir con el, con el error, no sabemos convivir con el fracaso. Eh, y muchas veces esa presión es contraproducente para, para tu carrera. Entonces, bueno, en esto relacionando al tema educativo y a lo que hacemos nosotros en el colegio, es de acompañar y tratar de hacerle ver a los chicos que posiblemente no seas eh, un profesional o no seas exitoso y que el camino, y que la, el camino hay que hacerlo, que hay que convivir con el fracaso que hay que convivir sobre todo con, con las derrotas y que hay que también desde ahí tratar de absorber lo bueno para poder, digo, que eso se, te alimente para seguir en, en tu camino. Indeed. So we will need, we will require a system now that, you know, active sportsmen or even those who are just beginning are being taught about, you know, what they should do about, you know, Uh, their lives after they're leaving, you know, they're leaving the sporting scene, you know, active sporting scene. Brian, for you, how did you exit that peak period, you know, and come into a new life? Well, I think it was, um, you know, I spent 17 years playing for the West Indies, and I felt that um, in a team sport, there was, there was a time when I realized that there's not much I can do anymore. I felt that, you know, I was at the top of my game, and it might be a good time to, to seek other um, another profession. So for me, it was easy. I, I believe that sportsmen should be paid for you know what they do and should be paid handsomely for it. Um, but if that's the only reason why you're playing the sport, I don't believe that that is that's the right way to start. And, you know, when I started playing for the West Indies cricket team, you know, watching the West Indies team from the 70s and 80s when we were the best uh, cricket team in the world. You know, there was no concentration on how much money I was going to make. It was all about wanting to play for the West Indies, wanting to be a part of that unit, watching the greats of Vivian Richards or Clive Lloyd or Michael Holding on the field in Australia, destroying Australia. These were, these were the highlights for me. These, that, that was like a dream for me to get out there and to be a part of that team. So when I got on to that team eventually, maybe around 1989-90, it was the proudest moment for me. I knew it for a fact that I, you know, at some point in time I had to leave the field, and um, I wanted to do it by achieving you know, a lot in the space of time that I had. And um, exiting was, was quite easy. I felt that, um, again, the importance of, of my school life, you know, the, the importance of that and what it, the doors that it opened for me beyond my playing days it was very important. So yes, as a sports person, you know, people would love to hear from you, but you also have to have that 
intellectual side for them to, to listen to you for a long Absolutely. period of time. So I'm very appreciative of the fact that you know, I spent some good time in school and I, I believe that today and beyond is not, it's not gonna be the runs, it's not gonna be you know, the catches, it's gonna be the, my ability to you know, expose myself and express myself in a way that people will um, gravitate towards me. But this was from your personal volition, you know? it was from your willpower to do this. Do you think we need any system in place that could bring this into the schools, you know, into even while people were already, you know, having, doing sports in schools, you know, to, to be taught some of these things? That when you're about to leave your career, this is, how, this is what you may end up facing, and so you need to get prepared for this. Yeah, I think it's important. It's, um, it could be depressing for, for some sportsmen and sportswomen when they, they come, especially if you're not in control of your own uh, uh, fate as a, as a sportsman. I played cricket, and uh, fortunately for me, I could have called um, the end when I wanted to. But for some, it just happens. You know, you find yourself out of the, the reckoning. And um, this is something that you, know, you definitely have to come to terms with. But I think it's pounded a lot into all sportsmen and sportswomen's head that it's a short career that you have. You just have a short time out there. You don't know what's gonna be the case with injury. You don't know what's gonna happen with the selection, with your form. So I believe that um, before you even get into that, you should understand that there are other things in life. There are more important things in life that you have to put in place first, before. I mean, um, you know, it's just, it's just how it is. You know, we just need to, to do that for all sportsmen and sportswomen growing up. Interesting and indeed, yes, we have to do this, I believe so. Um, just to make a quick announcement, uh, you can tweet about this panel session using the hashtag um, GESF2019. Um, also, uh, we've got a, a window for questions. So if you've got questions you'd like to ask, uh, some of, maybe you've got your, you're a fan of one of the sports person here and uh, now that you have the opportunity, you can pose any questions. I will uh, let you know when the time comes. Now, Susanna, let's talk about um, doping. You oh, know. great. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> I love how I get the best questions. <laughs> At least it's not Brexit. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. <laughs> so um, for sports people, uh, as a sports person, you know, what is the, um, how do you, you know, confront that threat, you know, or that um, area, you know? Sports is a very competitive, you know, uh, industry or a sector. You know, you've got many people, you want to outshine your competitors, or, you know, your competition. You want to, you know, achieve so much. So how were you able to deal with this as a sports person? So, I mean, you can only do what you're doing and control what you're doing as an athlete. So, uh, whilst it's frustrating and, you know, there's a lot of difficult issues out there with doping across all sports, particularly Paralympic and Olympic. I mean, for example, when I went to the Games in Rio 2016, the Paralympic Games, um, Russia were completely banned by, as, a, as a nation by the International Paralympic Committee. Um, and it, personally, one of my competitors uh, was from Russia, and uh, I was quite sorry that she wasn't there, purely because I genuinely believed that she was a, a clean athlete and she was my friend. So I think it, you're torn because you want, I, I want sport to be fair. I would only ever, I would never want to stand with a medal and think that I'd achieved that medal in a way that was through some cheating or that kind of thing. And, and I think um, 
I think it's on your conscience as an athlete. I think if you've got a clean conscience, that's, that's the way that you should present yourself. And I guess this is another thing that sport can teach young people is about fair play. It's about equality. It's about, um, you know, playing by the rules. It's about, you know, when you lose, accepting that loss and being okay with that loss. I mean, I've had losses and I've won, you know, and you have to be able to deal with both of those things in a professional and appropriate way. And I think sport should be able to teach people to do that. Where doping is concerned, unfortunately, where you have money, where you have wins, where you have sponsorship, where you have a lot of uh, accolades that you get as an athlete because of that win, um, unfortunately, it will bring out that side of people that would do anything to get that. And that's why I think it happens. Mm. For children in Germany, you currently teach in, in Germany. Yes. Yeah, for children in Germany and from what you've observed, you know, do you find that competitive um, spirit that could, um, how do you address the, 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 the spirit that makes some part of, uh, some children rather, uh, get depressed and feel that they need to resort into cheating or doing some form of uh, way to get recognized? Yeah, so you have to divide it between sport and organized sports and self-organized sport. And there are like some differences. So for example, with physical activity, you can have it in a competitive way, but you can also have it in a cooperative way. Like, for example, I learned a lot about uh, from Nigeria, from the Igbo culture, where I did my research. And these kids were showing me active free play games, which are just not about winning or losing. They were just about enjoying it from the inner self, like Oga or Thrill. So these kids were teaching me this game. So I got 2009, all these games back to Germany and integrated into my PE classes. And also all my results, I integrated into the mentor project. So important is for kids um, that they really having the feeling when they're doing physical activity or starting sports, not the feeling of being losing, or when we have a lot of obese kids, for example, when they're in the sports class, like in a competition sports class. Then we have a few winners and a lot of losers. So what happened to the child? They get a low self-concept. They try to avoid sport and get a negative feeling about sports. So we have to change this to make sports more available for each child to bring it more into the environment back, in their life back, and using, for example, self-organized cooperative physical activity, for example, like skateboarding, dancing. You can do a lot of sports like basketball as, as well, and not, not in a competitive way, like that the kids try to discover their own games, try to make their own rules, and also integrate then fair play. So that's why very, it's very important when we talk about the curriculum, we have um, two views of sports. One view is about become a competitive sports athlete, which is great. I always liked sports in my old back schools. It was always competitive, but I was a sportive girl, so I got a high self-concept of it. But what about the kids? And we have a lot of kids who are inactive now in the Western world. And we have a high physical inactivity level. It's around about the fourth reason for death now after alcohol and tabac. So while we can address these children, and we need to address these children to make them feeling, having a good feeling in sports, having a positive feeling of success. And that's why you can use it in like of um, cooperative physical activity, linking to sporting, classical sports. You can also discover other games from other culture, learning from each other, which we heard a lot in this conference. It's about learning from each other, seeing the, other's the other culture, kind of a collective identity. So then it's more coming out from the inner self. And when you're not comparing each other, then your self-concept is not going down. That's why it's about team spirit and rhythm. And um, 
you can also integrate a mentor project with university students taking care for deprived children or for refugee children because it's really essential for kids to develop and we need our kids to be physically active again and all these role models can be there to, to raise their voice for these kids. Indeed. Sebastian, you wanted to share I'd, some? I'd like to, to directly Okay, address. very quickly. We've got about uh, nine minutes to go now. And so. Really, really quick, quickly. I think it's important to differentiate between sports and play because sports, I think there's an element of competitiveness that needs to be. Because I remember in English, yes, in England, when my daughter was going to school, they told her nobody's a winner, nobody's a loser. That's not realistic in the real world. So I think you have to be careful about saying, let's level it out. There's play, yeah. and then there's sports, and sports is generally competitive. The other thing is, when you talk about doping, we need to stop kind of having two levels of, of talking about doping because I most recently there was this conversation about Semen saying that she should take some medication so that she's less masculine, so, so makes her actually less uh, ahead of the curve with the women. So they have to be clear messages around what is doping and when do we take medication because we're doing too well, so you want to tone us down. So I think let's get real about the conversations. It's not that simple, it's not that straightforward, it's not black and white. So we have to be really, really careful because on the one hand, you can teach kids they're all the same, and they're not. When they go into the real world, it's full of competition. So there's play and learning how to integrate and be team players and be together, and then there's sports as in competitive sports. And when you're talking competitive sports, when you're talking doping and not doping, when are we talking doping and taking medication because we're afraid that you know you're this person is, has it's an advantage because she's too good? She's too good, yeah. Can I just mm. mention, my, so you are talking, for sure, we have like classical sports who are like very competitive, but when you look at skateboarding like or climbing and parkour, it's not competitive. It's about cooperation and just doing it from your inner self. So don't take it too simple, like just divide it between play and then sports. We have a lot of in between. And what we found out in research is that really physical activity in a way, not as like going to be uh, organized in a very training way. It's more organized in a cooperative, more organized in a self-organized way. It's really getting the kids to be more creative and getting a higher self-concept. So, so Mary, just, just yeah. takes a So you're saying they're very plain, they're very plain uh, <laughs> yeah. cases, and they're, they're in between. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Very good. Okay. Sebastian, one last uh, uh, one question before I. I asked everyone just uh, to respond to one particular question. Uh, for you, while you were playing in the EPL, you know, you played with different players from across the world, you know, um, team spirit was there. You needed to have that, you know, to function. What did you learn from, you know, having to play with pe people from all over, the, all over the world, you're from different countries in the EPL? Uh, lo, lo primero, la convivencia. Eh, vemos digo, mucho conflicto en, en muchos lados y lo que tiene el, el deporte y sobre todo el deporte de equipo es esto de convivir eh, con distintas personas de otros países, ¿no? con otras culturas, otros hábitos y que eso en algún punto para poder ser un equipo eh, tenés que converger, tenés que ser uno mismo, tenés que pensar igual que el otro, más allá de que vengamos de un extremo al otro. Y, y me parece que eso, digo, justamente hablando de educación, es saber aprender, saber tolerar, saber escuchar, saber hablar cuando lo tenés que hacer, eh, saber soportar, entender de que 
en un equipo convivimos y tenemos todos un mismo objetivo. El objetivo puede ser bueno, puede ser malo. De las dos formas, digo, nos tenemos que acompañar eh, en un momento, sí, levantarnos para seguir y en el otro que podemos ser exitosos, pero que siempre hay un objetivo por delante. Y, y me parece que eso, digo, es en lo que a mí refiere en el deporte y, lo, y lo que me tocó, digo, estar afuera de mi país 10 años, poder entender eh, y poder, sobre todo, saber de que el otro, más allá de donde se viene, digo, somos, somos iguales. Did you at some point in your playing career um, face any, any type of uh, discrimination or any type of um, difficult moments where you felt, oh, I'm in this country and I, I'm playing with this group of people or this teammates and I don't really like them, I, I, can't, I just wanted to call it quit with them? La verdad, no. Nunca. So you learn to cooperate? Sí. Eh, mucho y en todos los lugares que estuve me, me trataron con respeto. Sí tuve compañeros y, y en clubes eh, y momentos digo, deportivos que lo pasaron mal y en esto de ser compañeros, ser amigos, ser hermanos, ser, eh, de, de acompañarlo y ayudarlo a pasar ese, ese momento. Eh, obviamente hay, hay mucho racismo en el, en el deporte y en el fútbol y últimamente se ve un brote mucho más eh, vis, visivo que lo que se veía antes. Eh, no es algo bueno, pero que son cuestiones en las cuales si el, el deportista está junto, si entiende la situación, obviamente estas cosas Digo, quedan como una anécdota, tienen que quedar como una anécdota, pero en la cual hay que trabajar mucho para que no, no suceda. We have to keep working. We have to keep working. Uh, distinguished ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to appreciate our panelists. Please, a round of applause. And now uh, the window for questions. Please, if you've got any questions, you can just raise your hands and uh, the microphone will find its way down to you. You should make it pretty brief and straight to the point. Hi, uh, my name is Helen and the question is for Veron. Um, I'm on the board of trustees of a charity that works with Palestinian uh, refugee children in Jordan, Palestine and Lebanon. And we have around 7,000 to 10,000 children every year that we use football to get them off the streets and we work with them in educational programs. And I would love to be able to find a way to have them be able to experience either a camp or something with someone like you. Uh, we, our students go to things like the Norway Cup and they've been in the finals, so they're incredible. And I would love to be able to expose them to world-class athletes like you. So, um, yeah, so I'm putting it out there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Kind of That's a straight one. Yes. You're shooting your shot really fast. Yeah, you respond to that. Uh, yeah, just right away. You can respond to it now, and then we'll take other questions just like that. Sí, cuando cuando quiera. No sé si era una pregunta o era una invitación. But you can meet you can meet maybe later once we finish, right? Okay, good. So now let's go to a proper question now. <laughs> All right. 
Thank you. Yes. Can we have you, sir? Oh, we got a microphone with someone already. All right. Thank you. What's your name? Yeah. A question to Veron. I, I read about your no study, no play What's rule. What's your name, sir? My name is Tomás from Argentina. Okay. Um, ¿Y por qué me estás preguntando en inglés? Para los demás. Bueno. Bueno, pero no, no, no. En inglés. Because we have a, a lot of people. For the rest of the audience. I've, I've read about your rule, no study, no play. Just wanted to know how did that rule uh, went by, by this, for the students and for the coaches. How did you manage to to put that rule forward and make it enforceable. Los, eh, los chicos cuando entran en un club eh, quieren jugar al fútbol, no quieren estudiar. Eh, y hablando de, de, de la educación y de cómo nosotros tratamos de insertar la educación en los chicos y llevarlos para que puedan tener eh, digo, un futuro mejor, lo que tratamos es, eh, junto con los, con los técnicos eh, y, y con los maestros, para nosotros es un proyecto único, eh, tratar de, de estimular y de que no pierdan, sobre todo, el, el hecho de poder concurrir al, al colegio. Y por ahí no suena, tan, no suena tan lindo, no suena tan bien, pero... Eh, con eso de que el que no estudia no juega de manera, por decir, no tácita, pero sí diciendo que el estudio en sí tiene una importancia mayor de lo que tiene, de lo que tiene el fútbol. Y lo que nos ha pasado, porque cuando se inició este proyecto nos, nos vimos que a los chicos les costaba estar en el colegio y venir a clases, eh, lo que nos ha pasado es que cuando jugaban los equipos teníamos seis, siete u ocho chicos fuera del, del equipo porque no daban los exámenes y hemos perdido partidos por seis, siete a cero contra, contra otros equipos. Bueno, y eso se fue, se fue revirtiendo, los chicos fueron entendiendo la importancia de estar en el colegio, de dar exámenes, la importancia de la educación y los técnicos obviamente agradecidos porque no, no era una situación muy linda de, de pasar. Okay. One more question. All right. Hello, my name is Dr. Harino Tieno from the African Institute for Mathematical Sciences. I just want to make ask two questions, and which is related to a comment. I think the first thing is how we get our policymakers and teacher trainers to understand the value of sports, and so that we integrate it as part of teacher training beyond the PE teacher, because as has been articulated, there are a lot of values that we can tap from sports to enhance learning. So things like the value for effort, things like using our sports to showcase 
the value for collaboration. And what's happening in our schools, because I did a study in Kenya, I'm Kenyan, um, about teaching students about self-regulated learning. And sports was the one place that was very important in drawing those analogies. But what's happening in our schools is that you'll find a maths teacher going to class and saying, no PE today. We're going to learn maths. So I think there is need to expand that conversation beyond the PE teacher and help all teachers appreciate the value of sports in addition to the physical activity. But the other thing that perhaps I'll, I'll throw to Dr. Uma is that in relation to that, and based on what Lara has been saying and, and what has just been said by Veron about the connection between academics and sports, we're seeing more and more conversations in our continent about curriculums that are beginning to sound like ability-based curriculums, where there is a push to start streaming students into um, abilities or interests very early in life. And the dangers that lie with that, where students could easily say, I'm good at sports and I'm not going to study. So how do we help our policymakers balance that conversation? Especially noting that in our continent, we are very uneven and unequal uh, learning environment. Thank you. All right, thank you. Uh, we should just take all the questions now because we've actually run out of time and uh, we don't want them to come send us out of this, <laughs> this hole. Um, so the other questions, please. All right, please, can we just really fast? Uh, Razia from ARY News, and uh, my question is for Brian Lara. Brian, we see you in this part of the world very often. Lots of cricket going on in the UAE. But uh, uh, where I'm from, as you know, it's uh, Botswana. We hardly see someone, say, of your stature or Sebastian Viron's stature, you know, coming to the schools in, say, developing or smaller countries. How do you think that can be changed, that perhaps my nephews or, or children who go to those schools get a chance to interact with you guys as well? Okay, and one more question, please. You, you got that right? Yeah. Okay. Hello. Uh, sorry, I'm uh, Clive Lawrence from the UK. I'm, I'm an executive head teacher of two special needs schools and disabilities in the UK. Just a general question, really, um, because me, in terms of sport, is a massive... Uh, um, influence to children and young people and it's about the generation of children and young people today. I just want to finish on the panel uh, to ask each and every one of you, who would you say is currently active in sport at the moment that is the biggest and positive role model to our children today? Okay. I'll give a window for just another question. Hi, my name is Mina. Um, I spoke yesterday at the opening plenary about the power of sport to change the world and how I've used that as a tool to integrate people from multiple different countries in multiple jurisdictions to change how we think about water. And I think one of the things I've really missed from this panel is to pick up the, the, the issue that Susanna raised about saying, you know, we need to find ways for people of all kinds to be included in sport. It's one thing if you're naturally talented, but honestly, if I was naturally talented when I was a kid, I wouldn't be where I was today. I was not included in sport. I was completely ostracized and I came to sport much later in life. And I think we need to do much better at finding ways to include people of all kinds and all shapes and all sizes. Because I think one of the reasons why people do not participate is because they don't feel that they can. So I wonder if we can have some comment about inclusion. Inclusion, inclusion. okay. All right, we can start to respond to those questions now. Yeah. From beginning um, with you, um, Omar. With regards to education, especially on the African continent, and either or, I think that needs a mentality change because it's too quick to say sport is something that 
that's a luxury that it's something that actually is not really needed because if you're going to pass, you have to sit down and you have to study and you have to swat and learn everything by heart and pass. So that mentality has to change and the only place it's going to change is within the curriculum. I dare say that when I went to school those few years ago, we were still using the British system and the British system that was imported onto our continent was actually the public school system vis-a-vis -vis private school which includes sports up to today in the UK. They do a lot of sport and that's part of their selling point for many parents who take their children to private schools. So reintroducing sport again in the curriculum means that it has to be part of what happens and you cannot take time out from it. The teachers cannot take it away. So that means strengthening the PE teacher, making that position of a PE teacher not a luxury. So that's, that's really, really key. So again, okay. I say curriculum. Inclusion again is curriculum because we had to do sport. So it wasn't a choice. We never got excluded. I was teaching swimming, and one of our uh, girls who was learning swimming with us, she had a disability because she had polio when she was a child. And Jane had to swim with everybody else. She competed in the team. And nobody ever thought twice that when she got out of the pool, she was limping. So it was made a part of the curriculum. Indeed. You have to be just make it part of the curriculum. It's not rocket science. Yeah. All right, Brian, to respond to your question now. Yes, um, first of all, just get your Minister of Sport or, or, or Education to send me a ticket. And I have been Botswana. But it's the, one of the most, uh, uh, the most satisfying times that I have while traveling the world and, and uh, talking about sport is places like Rwanda, Uganda, um, even New Jersey recently, you know, America, you know, not much cricket is played there. I, I believe that um, it's just about reaching out. I, I feel that um, sometimes the, if, if there's a proactive uh, minister in, in, any, in any country, reach out to sportsmen and sportswomen to come out and, and spend some time with their kids, we do. So, you know, um, you've got great safaris in Botswana, so a week there for me is, is a definite. Just let me know when. <laughs> All right, and uh, the question, the general question about your favorite role model from the sporting world. Susanna. Okay, um, just to answer the comment on inclusion and the lady at the back as well, um, tap into your country's health agenda. If you can link health and sport, you will get people to take it seriously. You know, obesity crisis, people are inactive. If we don't link it to another agenda and cross-departmentally cross link it, you're not going to have much traction if you just leave it as a simple curriculum element. Um, in terms of um, uh, role models, uh, what well, my personal one, or just generally? <laughs> I mean, I'm biased, but I'm going to say all the Paralympic athletes because I just love them, and they're just doing great things. And they're it's okay to be biased. Yeah, I'm biased, so uh, that would be my answer to that one. They're just awesome people, so all of them, and they're all good friends as well. We're all a team together. Um, yeah, I think that covers it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And Mary? Yeah, I would also like to ask your question um, and your comment because um, like what we are working in Germany now with the sports mental project is that we have kids from deprived backgrounds. They are not athletes. They are not good in sports. They are obese. Some of them really have uh, physical fitness deficits. Some of them are refugee children. Some of them have really problems at home, um, like divorcement of the parents, mobbing in the school. So we really have a diversity in the sports mental project. And it doesn't matter for the kids, they are not stigmatized. And they are all being physical active. And it's not in this project about a competition, it's just being learning to be physical active again, learning how to ride a bike, how to swim, how to learn skateboard, how to climb on a, on a tree again. So um, that's why I want to really focus it that uh, we should put it on a health level. So 
it's not just like the only sports level, it's like a health level and physical activity is essential. So we can also chat after this talk because this project is working. It's based on really research results. It's based on, since 2012, we educate 250 children from deprived backgrounds and also from uh, refugee backgrounds, Afghanistan, Syria. We integrated them in the society. They learned throughout physical activity, through sport, how to swim. So they weren't left behind. And also the university students got educated and learn while the next teachers get a sensitive feeling for these kids and get an empathy for these kids, how to treat them better in the PE class. Thank Thanks you. Very, very, very good response. And uh, with that, I'd like to draw this session to an end. Thank you very much. I'll just say to you that if you're looking for role models, I think that all of these wonderful people on this panel are incredible role models for everyone, young people across the world. And with that, let's give a very warm <laughs> applause. Thank you very much.